Uh, this is actually a continuation. I had a series I was doing on Faithful, and we had several Sundays we did something else. But uh, we're going to continue on this today. The Lord placed this on my heart. Uh, four kinds of people. And so let's just get right to this because we may have a little bit of waiting on God time. Let's see what kind of time we have at the end here. How many know the scriptures encourage us to examine ourselves? In fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. So, so the scripture never tells us just to same oh same oh keep doing the same thing and act like everything's peachy and wonderful. It says, no, check up on yourself and make sure you haven't, you know, grabbed a hold of something you need, didn't need to grab a hold of or, or got involved in something that's going to pull your heart away from God. Check up on yourself. In fact, 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, where the apostle Paul talks about communion, they were coming to communion hungry and they were using that as their evening meal or their meal, whatever time of the day they had. And he said, don't do that. He said, when you come together just to celebrate the, the death and resurrection of the Lord and to, and to understand what his body and blood did for us. And he said, he said if a man, let every man examine himself. And he said, if you judge yourself, you'll not be judged. And so self-judgment, self-examination, it's part of the family of God. <clears throat> I mean, even, even the uh, Stoics, even the wise, the wise men, you know, a couple of, you know, 2,500 years ago, an un, said an unexamined life is not worth living. There's something about self-examination that we all need. And, you know, you've heard that adage, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Well, as long as you're moving and going and thinking, you know, and self-examining, how many know you can stay clean and free? But the moment we stop and become surface, and that's the problem with our age today, we live surface life. We have plastic furniture. We've got laminated stuff in our homes. And, you know, you know very, very few things are pure without mixture. And God wants our hearts to always remain pure. How many understand that? Let me also remind you one of the things Jesus said that would... Uh, that would epitomize the, the age just prior to his coming. He said, let no man deceive you. So there's just be all kinds of false things around us all the time. If you're comfortable in our culture, there's something wrong. That's something God always challenges me with. If you're comfortable watching most things on TV or most movies, something's wrong. If you're comfortable, comfortable with conversations that go on, the things that are said, something's wrong because, you know, we're, we're out of kilter with our world. We're in the world. We're not of the world. Is that true? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they hit all of us. And this, is my, this will be my 42nd year in Jesus, September. And, you know, I have to constantly come back and examine myself. And you know what? Sometimes there's things I see I don't like and that I have to deal with. Sometimes I, I have some angst to get somebody. Sometimes something's happened. And, you know, I've said, God, why did you let? And see, you should never say why to God. God, why did you? It's not God. It's the God of this age. It's my responses to other people. How many know God is not my problem? But you know, to keep your heart clean, it really takes a lot of effort. How many know that? I mean, if you're just, so if you're just tooling around, not really examining, you probably don't have a very clean heart. So let's talk about it a little bit today. We're going to talk about the heart today. If, you're, if your heart was, was soil, what, what kind of soil would you be? That's the question today. So, you know, how many know it's important to keep a soft heart? And, you know, one thing that we do know from Scripture is sin in all of its varied forms will harden the heart. So we're going to talk about some of these things today. You know, I've mentioned this so many times in the past. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart 
above all else. New Living Translation says, guard your heart. Your heart is the innermost core of your being. It's your spiritual nature. It's the part of you that gives attitude and motivation to everything. So, so whether you're a business person or you work for a firm or, or you have a job or you're retired or you're, you're married, you've got a spouse, you've got children, you've got friends, you've got relationships, everything we do in life starts from the inside. And how many know whether you want to believe it or not, we live from the inside out. And you say, well, well I, don't, I don't live from my inside. I just kind of go from day to day. No, no, you go from the inside. A lot of people are empty inside, so they in, live empty lives. How many know it's true? So guard your heart above all else, for it determines. Your heart, your insides determine the course, the path of your life. So the parable of the sower gives us some rich ideas about um, uh, where we are as disciples. And it talks about four soil types. And I'm going to personify that, four kinds of people from those soil types. So let's begin reading here. Let's read a little bit of the Bible today. What do you say? Mark 4, and we'll just read a little bit. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. He got into a boat. Uh, then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by listening to many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on foot, a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil as, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone who has with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples uh, and with the others who were gathered around. They asked what the parables meant. He replied, you're permitted. And this is a perplexing thing to some people. He replied, you're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders. So he's teaching the disciples, but there's all kinds of people there. They're not Jewish believers. They're not, they're not seeking God. They're just looking. They're just listening. They just want to hear something new. Uh, and so he says, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders. So the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. That's not that God doesn't want people to turn to him and be forgiven. Jesus was talking here to the religious crowd specifically. They wanted to live life the way they did it. They wanted to do what they did. And, and, they, and they didn't want to change. And so Jesus said, you know, God's got your number. He understands where your heart's at. He knows what you're trying to do. So when I'm talking, I'm doing it in parables because if I do it in parabolic form, then it's going to take the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what I'm really, really saying. And if you're just carnaling in the flesh and you have a religious mindset and you're going through the religious motions, you really won't get it. And you know it's that way today. Uh, the natural man, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he understand or discern them because they're spiritually understood. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal the Bible to you. How many know that's true? And it takes the Holy Spirit to, to enable us to flesh out what we read. You can read your Bible every day and be as carnal as a goat. Did you know that? I've been to prison and visited people. They knew more Bible than me. 
Now, this is strange, but true. 1981, I was casting a demon spirit out of a woman, and I can't even go there and talk about it, except to say her eyes were blazing, and except to say she was in a catatonic state. That means she was rigid as a stone. Her eyes didn't even move. But when I said something about the Bible and something about Jesus, when I got into her presence, her eyes looked like they shot fire. And she began to quote scripture. I said, well, my goodness, this person must know the Lord. And when I said, Lord, I mean, oh, my, things happened. Well, she was full of the devil. It's funny to say on Sunday morning, but it was true. And, uh, and so, you know, even demons can quote scripture. Do you know I found that to be true? So just because you have a lot of the word and just because you write around your Bible on your dash, I still see it, believe it or not, or, or on the back part of your car and people can see it, or just because you have a Bible on your desk doesn't mean anything. What, what are you doing with it? And so Jesus had to deal with that. And that's, that's why he said what he said here uh, to the religious people of his age. And then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? So he said, this is the focal point of the things that I need to share with human beings. And he begins to explain what he said about the parable here of the sower. He said, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, and so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accepts God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. So Jesus said, if you want to understand the kingdom of God and how it applies to your life, just listen to this parable. So, so let's talk about this. Jesus talked about four kinds of soil here. A farmer's planting seed. The seeds are falling on four different kinds of soil conditions and the soil condition represents the condition of a human being's heart so we'll personify this so so number one he talked about the hard-hearted person you can fill in the blanks everybody say hard-hearted so here's a person that hears but but it produces nothing at all in the life and he said again the seed that fell on the footpath or the King James translation of the Bible says wayside, those that fell by the wayside, represent those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. You've heard me give this illustration, but it bears repeating. When I was young, I lived in the, what we called the country. Y'all know what the country is. We were 13 miles from anything, any store, anything like that. So, I mean, we were just out in the middle of nowhere. My dad bought a parcel of land from a a wealthy attorney in town when he, when he uh, went to work for DuPont. And it was, uh, he, this guy had a big parcel of land and he bought an acre or, you know, some acreage right in the middle of a huge, huge field that farmers planted all kinds of things. So when I'm a little boy, you open up the door, go out any corner of the house or look out any window of the house and you see, you see fields everywhere. That's all you see. And sometimes they planted cotton. Sometimes they planted corn. Lots of times they would plant soybean. 
Uh, I don't think they ever planted tobacco near my house, but that's, I remember that as a boy, just as vividly cotton sometimes. They, did I say cotton? They plant cotton. So, and, and then, you know, of course, you know, uh, and then some of the fields, and I didn't know this, my dad, I would ask my dad, say, Dad, there's a field right there. Why don't they plant that field? The one right in the front of our house where our front door was, there's a field in the distance. And, and they didn't plant the field. I said, why don't they plant that field? He said, well, there's a thing called the land bank from the government and they invite farmers to put some of their land in a land bank because they want to regulate how, many, how much soybean is planted, how, many, uh, how much corn is planted, how, many, how much cotton is planted so they can help regulate the prices and that and that and that. So they would put uh, some of the land and they would actually pay the farmer to let the land lie fallow or uncultivated. So, so here I am as a little boy and I can remember whether it's a summer day, a hot summer day, many times a hot summer day and, uh, and I would go out and play around, you know, and, and uh, let's say in the spring they're, they're plowing the fields around and, and they leave that land bank field just right there and it's not tough. No plow touches it, and and I've noticed sometimes I've noticed I've gone along right where the 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 unplowed field started, and the one they plowed uh, uh, was over here. And and I noticed I noticed that some of the seed because that it would have uh, they would have uh, you know automatic seed planters or whatever that were planting seeds in holes and such and some of the seed would spray out and get on the on the fallow uncultivated field, and it would just lie there on the dirt. And then I noticed after a spring shower or a summer shower, I would, I would run out and say, Mom, I'm going out to play. And I'd run out into the fallow field, the uncultivated field. And it always perplexed me, a big shower of rain. But I would go out to that field and the surface tension was so taut on the surface of the crusty surface of that unplowed field and the water would just lay. And I can remember just seeing water laying on top. It wouldn't go in. The surface tension was too high. Been too long since a plow had hit that. And then I noticed instead of growing things that were worthwhile for human consumption or human use, it grew weeds. Now that was fallow ground. And Hosea ten twelve says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Fallow ground, uncultivated ground. So, so hard-heartedness. That, that uncultivated heart doesn't produce. So, so a person can hear. That's the reason two people can hear the same thing or you, 10 people can hear the same thing. And some respond and some say, I can get one thing out of that. I've had people leave our church. I don't get anything out of his preaching. Well, you want to know the truth? It might not be my preaching. It might be the soil that the seed's going into. Yes or no? I'm not responsible for your soil. I'm responsible to sow the seed. You're responsible to grab the seed and have a soil condition that will allow it to germinate. Yes or no? There's some things in life that keep the germination of the seed from happening. And, you know, let me just cut right to the chase here. Hebrews 3.13, you must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. The number one thing that sin that we allow in our lives does is it hardens our heart. Now listen to this. I've said this so many times. 
But I have to say it again. You know, I know 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. I also know 1 John 2, 1 says these things I write to you that you sin not. And if any man does sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer with the Father that's never lost a case. Uh, Jesus Christ the righteous and he is the the atonement for our sins. He satisfies God's anger towards our sins and not towards ours own but also towards the sins of the whole world. How many know that's true? So a lot of people take that and say, well, I'm going to do this because I feel like it right now and it's sin. And what they don't realize is God will forgive the sin, but what they just did, if you repetitiously do things that your conscience says don't do, you harden your heart. And we have a whole culture with hardened hearts today because they know what to do but choose not to do it and, when, and, and, you know, we're clear in the New Testament, he that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. When I choose to violate conscience, I sin. Yes or no? Does God forgive sin? Yes, but if I choose to repetitiously do something that I know is wrong, you know what I'm doing? I'm creating a fallow heart, a hardened heart. That's what Hebrews 3.13 says. None of you will be deceived by sin. How many know sin is deceptive? In fact, the devil will say, you know, God will forgive you. Go ahead and do that. Now, why would he say that? Because he knows if you repetitiously do what you know is wrong, you'll get to the point that you don't care. How many know that's a dangerous place to be? I was in my office this dozen years ago or so. And a guy I knew very well sat in this chair in front of me. It broke my heart. In fact, he left. I wept. And he sat right there and told me it was okay for him to commit adultery against his wife. He told me that he believed God understood. And he had no remorse for what he was doing. He divorced his wife. He had beautiful, beautiful children. Lost his wife, lost his children, lost his family. Lost his testimony. Lost his experience with God. Now, you know what I sat there knowing? I sat there knowing that he didn't start with adultery. That adultery started with a wayward thought. How many hear me? Or he, he, he did something and he said, God, I, I shouldn't have been watching that, looking at that, thinking about that. I shouldn't have been looking at that woman lustfully that way. That's how it started. But he did it so repetitiously. There it was in front of me. And it was no problem to have another woman the way he had his wife. Oh, where'd he get there? Well, you don't start there overnight. How many know it? Huh? So if, you, if you're doing something you know is wrong and it's obvious someone's out behave, outward behavior is not lining up with what God says a, a, a true child of God does, you just know they didn't start there. There was a long, successive line of failures before that happened. Somebody said, it may take you 20 years to backslide. You know what backsliding is, don't you? God said to Israel, you've backslid. That means you knew me, but you fell away. And it's usually a little bit at a time. So how many know we need to watch those things? Hardness of heart is produced by a number of things. Uh, Personal hurt, personal pain. Somebody that's done you wrong. And it emotionally wears on you and hurts you. How many know Jesus said forgive? He didn't say forgive if you want to sometimes. He said forgive. And then he said just the big old things. He said, forgive if you have anything against anybody. And you know what unforgiveness produces? Hardness of heart. Listen, you can get hurt by people and does it hurt? Of course it does. When somebody you love does you wrong and you know they're wrong and they know they're wrong and they don't care, you know what? That hurts. Does it hurt? You've got to let it go. And those hurts, you know what they can produce? 
hardness. Or sometimes the circumstances of life just turn sour for whatever reason. We live in a fallen world and some things, nice, bad things happen to really, really nice people. And you know what? You can have a heart that blames God. You know what? If you blame God, it hardens your heart. Yes or no? So there's lots of things that can, that can harden our heart. We just got to make sure we don't allow it to happen. So, you know, my encouragement is if you're hearing the word and it's boring to you, there's probably something going on with your heart. If, you, if you're not excited about it, I'm just real. If I've ever had a time in my life, and I have had those times, that I'm not excited about reading my Bible, I'm not excited about praying, I'm not excited about coming to church here, my pastor minister the word, I'm not excited about that guest minister that come, and I thought, well, I just, I just want to do something else today. You know, I just need a break. Well, that needing a break may be, may be hardness beginning. So how many know we need to watch it? So you got hard, the hard-hearted person. Number two, y'all here? Everybody here? The shallow person. We're doing some self-examination. Is that all right? The shallow person. This is a person where things hinder spiritual development. This is verse 16, Mark 4. The seed fell on rocky soil, stony ground, the King James Version said, represents those who hear the message, immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long, they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted uh, for believing God's word. So, so here's, here's soil, and, and this soil, here's, here's the seed planted in this soil, and, and you know, it germinates, it starts growing. Now, you know, I love to plant flowers and stuff. I haven't in some time because I'm, I'm busier than I used to be. But I used to plant, at one time I was planting 200 plants in my yard. And how many know that North Carolina can have some pretty tough soil? And so, you know, you dig down a certain way. And I found out I had to get, dig through that red, orange stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Orange is Bo's shirt up here on the front row. And, uh, and then I had to put some, some nice soil. I had to go buy some to put in there, you know, and... Uh, and, and then I found out if my plants grew only to, to, the, to the depth of where I planted the good soil, then when they got to the hard stuff, you know, they just wouldn't grow anymore. And they'd look weak and small. And you got a plant right here, and it just wouldn't grow. It wouldn't develop. Some of them I planted, I planted them a few inches from each other. They say it's going to be about 12 inches in diameter. It's going to be about 12 inches high when it's completely, you know, and it's got, you know, flowers all over it. And, said, but, and so I was looking for that. So I got a real nice plant here, got a little itty-bitty old stringy-looking plant. Just got a scrawny, that's the word, right here. What happened? The soil. It wasn't the plant, it's the soil. So, so, so what is this for us? You know, here's the issue. As we grow in God, how many know God loves you just the way you are? But how many know he won't leave you the way you are? Y'all, I've been in Jesus 42 years. Uh, uh, and one, one year after I came to Jesus, I started going to Bible school. I started a Bible school at night just a few months after I came to salvation. And then I went to Bible school. It was a full-fledged one in my church. And, and I got all kinds of friends going on. And, and we're talking and sharing and relating. Here's what I found out. When you first come to Jesus, you've got a boatload of problems. And you've got all kinds of flesh stuff and all kinds of attitudes and all kinds of ways of living. And you know they're right, not right. God knows they're right, not right. But you just came to Jesus. And he says, stamp your mind. Right? And he puts a seal in you called the Holy Spirit which is the down payment of our salvation, saying you belong to me. And as you go through the journey, and this is, did this happen to you? You go through the journey. My first thing, we had to clean up my potty mouth. 
I would start talking gossiping. First thing that happened, I started gossiping. Hey, you, and my friend said, don't you ever say that. Pull me to the side. Don't you ever say that again. It's a sin to say something in somebody's absence that you would not say in their presence. Ooh, woo. So I said, well, Lord, I repent. I had to clean up my gossip mouth. And then I had, I had attitudes and behaviors. I would curse like a sailor. How many know if you can curse a lot, you probably don't know God a lot? Let's get real. People are real loose with their lips today. And a loose-lipped person that can use all kinds of expletives and say, I'm a believer, you're not very close to the Lord believer. No, you're a carnal body-ruled believer. You know what? It's a, a heart symptom of a shallow person. And that's what happens. You go so far. So here's what happens in God. The further along you go in God, the narrower the road gets. Jesus said, narrow is the way. One translation says, confined is the way to life. I can't do now what God let me do 40 years ago. How about 30 years ago? How about 20 years ago? See, I'm an old man now. How about 10 years ago? I can't even do things now I was doing five years ago. You know, because the further you go in God, the more responsibility you have. How many know that's true? When my children were young, they got away with all kinds of stuff because they're just, you know, two years old, two and a half years old, three years old. But the older they get, they have to tie their own shoes, eat their own food, put their own clothes on. Then we made them wash their own clothes. We made them clean up the bathroom. We made them make up the bed. We made them mow the yard. We gave them responsibility. Why? They're old enough to know now. But when they're young, we took up the slack, right? Did you know God is exactly the same way? And God, some people, they expect God to treat them now and they've been 10 years in God. They expect God to treat them now like he did when they were two months old. Now, if you have that mindset, well, that's just me. That's just something I like to do. You know what happens? You stunt your growth. Your fruit becomes shallow. How many hear that? That's the reason you have a person that's 10 years old in God, 15 years old in God, 20 years old in God. Here's a believer that's only been a believer from one, for one year, but they're after God. They have a passion for Jesus. Why? It's all heart soil stuff. So, and you know what? Sometimes a person, I've seen it over the years. I've seen it in my own life. I, I, I start going and God says, Mitch, I want to start dealing with pride. Well, if you turn a deaf ear to that, he says, well, I can't talk to you till you talk to me about this. So, so, so in my life, some time went by. God won't deal with everything at once. He started dealing with my pride, my self-centeredness. I had to have things my way, and I just thought it was the right way. How many know your way is not always the only right way? Huh? Right? Well, he let me be that way for the first period of time in my Christian life, but then he started expecting me to change. Then he dealt with me about workaholism. Workaholic gets his good feeling out of what he does. And if you don't, aren't doing something, you don't feel good. And so you either binge, eat, or exercise like a nuthead. You always got to be doing something. Well, if you've always got to be doing something, that says you've got a problem. If you can't sit quiet and rest and relax, you have a problem. See, I had to deal, those are things, I mean, God began to deal with me with these kinds of things. And I'm telling you, the further you go in God, he won't allow attitudes, he won't allow thoughts, he won't allow certain, just certain ways of living, certain ways of doing, certain ways of wasting time. You further you go in God, those root system goes down, you got to be willing 
How many know you got to be willing to say, God, I accept. And some people aren't. So you shallow out. Number three, y'all getting something out of this? The crowded life person. Busyness. I was visiting someone in the hospital probably a decade ago. And uh, talking to this sweet lady, spiritual lady, really. And uh, we got to talking, and she gave me an acronym for busy. Being under Satan's yoke. I said, well, I said, I'll learn something from you today. Uh, I'm not glad you got put in the hospital, but I am glad I came to see you. Because I never forgot that busyness crowds God out of life. The seed that fell among thorns represents others who hear God's word all too quickly. The message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. Now let me go back to my gardening days. My dad always planted a very large garden and I hated every second of it as a kid because it produced a lot of work for me and my brother. And uh, I mean, y'all, we had built long rows and lots of them and long days hoeing. And, uh, you know, I'd have to hoe maybe 20 rows and they're long rows. It'd take me, my Lord, a long time to hoe around all those plants, green beans and corn and and uh, tomatoes, okra, butter beans, butter peas. I could go on and on and on. And, and, you know, you got all that. And you know what happened was sometimes it would either rain for a few days, you can't get out there, or we'd be gone vacationing or going on a trip somewhere. You come back, and you've got all these weeds. If you don't pay attention to the soil, how many know weeds grow? And crabgrass will ruin a garden. We had crabgrass and Bermuda grass that would get in our garden. And these grasses are tough grasses that grow roots. And those roots go down into the soil and they'll wrap themselves around any other root in the soil. And so my dad would say, Mitch, I want you to go out to the garden. We've got some, a real problem with crabgrass since we've been gone or Bermuda grass. And I want you to go and, and, and be careful that you don't uproot the bean vines while you're hoeing the, the, the rows of beans. And so I'd go out there with my hoe and I'd have to get down with my hands and, and pick out the crabgrass. You know what the crabgrass did? It, it, it wove its, its roots all the way around the green bean vines. And every once in a while I'd say, I'm just fed up with it. And I'd rip the, I said, oh man, rip the green bean vine up. And I knew Daddy, daddy's going to get me. Now, now, what is that synonymous with in life? You know, the worries of life. Jesus said here, the cares of this world, King James says. That word care means a distracted mind. It means a mind that's going several different directions at once. It's not honed on on any one thing. The cares of this world. We, it's also that word translated worry. The worries of life, the concerns of life. You can allow the concerns of life to wrap their tentacles around the soil of your heart until you're not effective in anything you're doing, and it crowds the life of God. Is it true? Absolutely true. Then he said the deceitfulness of money. Now, money, here's what, let me tell you something I've seen through the years. I've seen people that got so upwrought with the problems of life, they, they just kind of had to they phased out on God or here's another thing I've seen a lot of people come and find out that Jesus is Lord he cleanses sin he wants to bless your life make a way for you and they learn to give and it shall be given and they're expecting God to bless their business and once their business gets blessed once they get the promotion the raise you know what I found they forget God 
Or I've seen him say, well, if I spend this many more hours, I can make so much more money. And you know what? The money got around their heart like, the, like those weeds got around the plants in my garden. And it, it began to uproot their spiritual life. How many hear what I'm saying? Listen, I had a business 28 years ago that I started. And God began to bless my business. And you know what I had to do? God, regardless of what you're doing with this business and regardless of how busy it is. And then, of course, you know, I hired people to work with me. And then when you hire people to work with you, you got to tell them what to do. Then you got to make sure they've got plenty to do, and then you got to go back and inspect what they're inspect what they're doing, and then you got to got to deal pro- appropriately with the people you're doing the work for. You know what I'm saying? So you got all this stuff going on all the time, and before you know it, you don't have time to do anything. And I made my mind up right then. You know what? Either I'm gonna have this business, or this business is gonna have me. And I made up my mind, I'm going to have a business, but I'm going to put it where it belongs. And I got up every morning and sought God, and I stopped early enough that I could spend time with my children because it was trying to eat into all of my time. It was eating into my heart time. How many hear me? I actually burn out because I had my own business 28 years ago. And burnout means you're tired of doing everything and you don't care about anything, anytime, anywhere. I got there. And God had to show me, you know what, Mitch, you, you let things crowd in to your life. So money, and then he just says other things. We've got so many leisure opportunities and so many things we can do with our mental time, our leisure time, that we hardly have any soulless time, quiet time. You know what, that kind of stuff can grab your heart. How many hear what I'm saying? So how many know it's worth it for us to examine ourselves? Are you the crowded person? It's easy to get really busy and let legitimate things just kind of lope off your relationship with Jesus, with jobs, with kids, with, you know, family, all kinds of things going on. Sometimes life can be too much, and that's why my dad always said, Mitch, you got to stay ahead of the weeds. Always stay, if you get, if you get, see, we were gone, they got ahead of us, we got to pay the price. Sometimes we let the weeds get ahead of us in life. You know, if you're that way, You've got to, you may need to take a couple of days, get off by yourself, say, God, let's, let's, just, let's just talk. Can we talk? I've got this I'm dealing with and this I'm dealing with. These things have wrapped themselves around my heart. They've taken up my time, and I don't care about you the way I once did. How many know that's a legitimate thing to do sometimes? So the crowded life. Then Jesus talked about the good-hearted person. The seed that fell on good soil, good ground, represents those who hear and accept God's word, produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So, so you've got all these soils. You've got the hard-hearted, the shallow, the crowded heart. And then you've got the good-hearted person. And then with the good-hearted person, you got 30% fruit, 60% fruit, 100% fruit. The way I make that practical for me, here's a person, their heart soil's good, but, but they only take 30% of their time and all of the hours in a the week, they take 30% of that and they're after God. Other than that, probably in the flesh. Responding in the flesh to the things of life. And then he said there's a person, they're a 60% doer of the word. What does that mean? 60%, just make it practical. 60% of the time, this person's on. They're loving their neighbor. They're seeking first the kingdom of God. They're being kind. They're being sweet. They're walking in love. They're walking in forgiveness. But that means 30% of the time, they're not. They could be a rascal every once in a while when you come around them. Have you met people like that? And then he said, there's a rare percentage of people, there's a very rare percentage 
that you know what? They're after God all the time. Now, I'm going to tell you something happened to me. Susan and I went to a Kenneth Copeland meeting. Oh, this is about 10, 11, 12 years ago. And it was in Fort Worth, Texas. And it was at the convention center there. And we just took the week just to go wait on God. And I just went and heard Kenneth Copeland hear all these speakers and such. But, but, but you know what I come away with with that? What I come away with was, now I don't, do, how many know Kenneth Copeland? Now I don't care what you think about him. I, I don't care. And you know what? He doesn't care. I'm going to tell you my perception. That's one of the only persons I have ever met in my life. If God said it, he's after it. He's doing it. I, I never met a man like that. I was around him enough that week. And, you know, even in between, he's talking to people. I mean, this man's all about God. He's not about himself. He's not about the flesh. He's not about the world. He's all about God. I thought, there's a hundredfold man right there. He's doing the word all the time. And it impressed me. And you know what it's made? I went away from that meeting saying, God, I got a lot of growing up to do. Wonder where I am. Wonder if I'm 30 or 60. Or Lord, I wonder if I'm shallow. Or I wonder if my heart is crowded. How many know you can go through life and you've had some of all of those experiences? There's times you've been hard-hearted. There's times you've been shallow, right? There's times your life's been crowded out. And there are times you've just been a good boy, a good girl. You're doing the work. I don't know about you, but we never arrive at this side of heaven. Is that true? So we need to search ourselves and make sure we're being where we need to be, doing what we're needing to do. Four things here as we close. Four things I encourage you to do. I try to make these part of my life. Oh, just, just every, every once in a while. I don't know what every once in a while is. I don't, you know, live by some list. I just know in my heart when it's time to, I'd say every, every um, you know, about, about every week, I'm going to take some time and I'm going to search me and figure, figure out how I'm doing. You know, see if whether I'm in the faith. So, so number one, four things that you can do to really check up on your heart. Number one, search and repent. It's on the list there. And, and I just get to have some time to say, God, can we talk about life? I think about me. I think about what I'm involved in, what I'm spending my time doing. Think about my attitudes towards the people closest to me, Susan, my wife, my children, my staff members here, my friends. What are my attitudes? How am I treating them? What am I doing? What am I doing with me? And, and what's going on with me? And, and so, sir, and I say, God, if there's anything I'm missing in here, any attitude I need to repent of, anything I'm doing that I need to lope, just really lope off. And then sometimes I get into that. And then, like I said, sometimes God keeps kind of reining you in like you're on the end of a hook, a fishing pole. And he just keeps pulling you, pulling you closer, pulling you closer. And there's some things I used to could do that I can't do now. Some things I spent my time doing. He said, I don't want you to do that I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I'm telling you, the closer you walk with God, the more he wants from you. How many hear that? Search and repent. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. I dare you to pray that. What happens is once you pray that, nothing happens to start with. But if you say, God, really, show up. I mean, get your spotlight. Look at my insides. And don't be afraid of the Lord doing that. I found God to be most compassionate, most loving, most caring, most patient with me. You know what? He'll be that way with you.
you've got stuff in your life and you know it doesn't need to be there, if you'll just fall on your face and say, God, I need you to help me. You tell, maybe you like things that he doesn't like and you know he doesn't like them. Maybe you're involved in behaviors that you know will, will hinder your fellowship with God. You know what? He already knows it. You know what I found out? If you say, God, you see that? You see what I want to do? You see what I really think? You see what I really feel? God, I know that's not right. You know that's not right. Help me not to want that. Did you know God wants to answer that prayer? God, help me not to want the thing that I don't need for the, the thing that's trying to wrap its tentacles around my heart. Father, help me. How many know God will hear that? How many know he'll start a process in your life? Yes or no? Number two, meditate every day. Now, I take some time to meditate, honestly. I'm in my car. I'm in my truck. I'm on my bicycle. You know, sometimes I'm just sitting down taking a break. Often before I go to bed, I meditate. I meditate just various times throughout the day. And what I mean is I take a scripture. If you want God to get close to you, it's more than just having a time of praise and worship. How many hear me? We've got a shallow culture right now. They think, well, once I praise and worship, God's just going to you know, light my fire and everything's going to be wonderful. No, you've got to get him on the insides of what you think. And meditation will do that. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my strength and my redeemer. I take scripture that I know. Usually I've been doing this for decades. One scripture a day. So now sometimes there's a whole sequence of them from a chapter of the Bible. And I just think about them. I think about them. I'm riding my bike for an hour on the Noose River Trail. I usually put scripture in my mind. You know what? When you do that, God will speak to you. I've got life direction just from taking time every day and meditate. That is, let the Word of God go over and over in your thinking. There's a person here, you have not been peaceful in a long time, and you don't know what in the world to do. And here by the Spirit of God, I can hear Him say, take some time to get along with God, just get quiet, take a scripture, and just start meditating. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in you. Wherever you put your mind, that's what your emotions are going to do. You put your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And a lot of things in your, in your environment, the way you think and live are going to change. How many hear it? Huh? If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above not those things which are on the earth. For you're dead. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You can be thinking so much on the things below that you don't even care about life anymore. That's where our culture is right now. Let's set our minds on things above. What do you say? Number three, give God your worries in prayer. And I do that every day. I never let a day go by. Anything that bothers me just a little bit, anything I cogitate more than twice in my mind. So whoop, whoop. Whoa, what am I thinking about? It could be a relationship, somebody I got to talk to. It could be a circumstance that's looming before me. It could be a financial thing. It could be a circumstantial thing. It could be a relational thing. You know, the truth is, even when I'm going to park somewhere and I know like, I just took my mother for instance, for instance. I know this sounds really crazy, but this is the way I live my life. I went to the farmer's market because my mother wanted some seafood yesterday for her 84th birthday. So I went to that little seafood place. Whether you like it or not, she does. So I rolled up there with some of my family in my truck. And I mean, y'all, I don't know what they were doing, but there was not a parking place to be seen. Now I thought about that more than twice. I said, well, I got to park this big old truck. So I said, God, I need a place to park. 
and I ask you for it in Jesus' name. You know what? I let them out. I went down the road, and right on the right, there was a parking. I mean, it was clear as a bell. I said, why did everybody take that one? God said, because I got that one for you. <laughs> hello, hello. I'm just saying, all the way down to a parking place and a busy parking lot, God will answer your prayers, but you've got to be willing to talk to Him about everything in life. More than 10 people. See, I get in this, I can feel it. More than 10 people in this room, you have angst about relationships in your life, family things, children things. You're upset, you're disturbed, it's not right. Marriage things, you've not even verbalized it. Those things you get off by yourself and say, God, I don't know what to do. What King Hezekiah said, enemy surrounded Israel in 2 Chronicles 20. God, I don't know what to do. You ever said that? Sometimes I've cried out, God, I don't know what to do. But then Hezekiah said, but my eyes are on you. Work this out. You've got a different perspective. Help me. Every time I've ever prayed that, God's always come to me. There's a bunch of people in the room. You need to get somewhere this afternoon. Go on a walk. Go find a place of solace and pour your heart out. Get rid of the weeds. Get rid of the hardness. Get rid of the worries. Get rid of the care. Then lastly, as I close, make some new habits. Habits are children of our choice. 1 Timothy 4, 7, J.B. Phillips, I love this. Be, but steer clear of these stupid, godless fictions. And then the last sentence. Take time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. How many know it takes some time? It may be even be some trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Is that true? I read that years ago. I said, man, that's true. Time and trouble. It's not convenient for me to get up early. It's not always convenient for me to get off by myself somewhere. It's not always convenient for me to meditate. It's not always convenient for me to let God into the inner recesses of a place that's painful and hurtful. But how many know it? Sometimes it takes time and sometimes it's trouble to do it, but it's worth it. Develop some new habits, 21 to 28 days. If you've got a habit of worrying, if you've got a habit of, 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 of living a surface life, if you've got a habit of, of repetitiously doing things you know are, are not helping your conscience at all, 21 to 28 days you can start forming a new habit. So you know what? That means you can start gaining a new leash on life if today you make some choices. God, I want the soul of my heart to change.